This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Here we are in Coach Hogg's locker room today, by golly. Uh, and the Warthog Command Center in the Melbourne Law Studio, which is Melbourne Law, the only official law firm partner, University of Florida Gators, full-service legal firm, and protected by crime prevention, 24-7, 365, and sponsored by, well, first one that pops up is Judy Locasio from Allstate, longtime member of the community. Support her. Support the people you see scrolling by the screen. And remember, we have an opportunity for you to support a Faith Family Firearms and Coffee business called Caliber Coffee. Um, their vision is simple. You, They bring the highest quality coffee to your cup, and they share their passion for the Second Amendment at the same time. Their coffee is sourced from farms all over the world, roasted locally, and they bring you the freshest, freshest batch possible. And you can go check them out at CaliberCoffeeCompany.com. Faith Family Firearms Coffee, free shipping on $50 plus orders. There you go. You can't beat that. huh? Well, well, well. Coach Hogg locker room. I see some people checking in early to class. You know, I always like those students who were there before class started. They were ready to go because I always gave that quiz right at the beginning. And I never gave it to the ones who came late. There we go. Happy Monday, Tim Martin. And, uh, uh, we'll take it. By golly, I got to tell you, we are still doing our roofing job here at the command center. And these guys are up on this roof that you won't hear it because our microphone screens everything out. But these guys are up on this roof in 96 degree weather today. I'm going to talk about that at the bottom of the hour. These are some tough dudes. They're all from Guatemala. None speaks English. And um, they don't stop working. They are going at it. It's a remarkable really thing to observe. I don't know where our work ethic went here, but their work ethic, they bring. And they don't work on Sunday because, of course, they observe the Sabbath. I have a funny story about the Sabbath and my mother and my brother. My mother lived to be 107 and a half, as you may know, and lived in her later years in a mother-in-law suite with my brother. My brother told me recently that one Sunday afternoon, he went out to mow the yard. And he looked up and coming down the driveway was my mother, who looked at him and said, do you know your Bible? Do you believe in the Bible? Well, of course, what she was saying, you don't work on Sunday. Wow. But she wasn't going to say it that way. She said, do you believe in the Bible? Do you know your Bible? Funny story. I just learned that the other day. Uh, That was my mother. Well, well, well. The big news about 
Coach Hogg's locker room is how the United States soccer team lost the World Cup by a millimeter to Sweden. And the margin was so slim that uh, it had to be replayed and looked at and checked out. And it was really one of those moments where goalies really earned their key. And uh, Sweden kept the kick out. Um, This finished the United States soccer team, eliminated in the round of 16. It is going down as the worst uh, performance by the United States female soccer team in World Cup history for this national women's team, which had always reached the semifinals. And, uh, you know, I mean, come on. There's parity in these leagues. Um, These girls are really remarkable athletes, ladies. We're going to get into that in a moment as to what the definition of lady is or female. But anyway, the story really came to focus on Rapinoe. Uh, I think that's the way her name is said. If I'm I'm saying it wrong, somebody indicated in the chat. Uh, Rapinoe had a chance to help her team, uh, but her attempt was high over the bar. That was an attempt before the other attempt missed, as I understand it. Now, you have to realize that this woman who missed this attempt, Rapineau, was um, as controversial as Kaepernick. And not everybody was a fan of hers, but nevertheless, she was a defining athlete of her generation. Uh, She was the first publicly gay player on the women's national soccer team. And she was known as a ruthless and creative forward who would always come through in the most tense moments. But she described herself as a walking protest. Uh, She knelt for the national anthem. She fought for equal pay and equitable treatment on LGBTQWXYZ issues. And uh, she was boldly disruptive as a former national team captain described them. Now, um, it wasn't lost on the fact that she didn't come through this time for those who are critics of her. But, you know, there you are. She's retiring now. And... Uh, She took a position that really, I think, set a lot of people on their ear. Uh, She said during Gay Pride Month that you can't win a championship in soccer without gays on your team. And she might be right about it. I mean, but she was bold enough to say it. Now, she's using the term gay. And this term has been stolen because gay used to mean happy. Um, But now we've got a different meaning for it, just as the rainbow has been stolen. So the uh, lady was controversial. She was right in the mix in the heat of the battle and didn't come through. 
as she normally would come through. And um, this was, as I say, uh, met gladly by some people. Because in 2016, uh, she was the first to take a knee during the national anthem in solidarity with Kaepernick. And uh, they were protesting then police brutality and social injustice. And they got the WNBA women basketball players to start kneeling during that period, too. Um, That was really not well received. And um, it was clear during Sunday's playing of the U.S. anthem uh, that not all of Rapino's teammates agreed with her. But she continued refusal to sing the uh, the anthem or to place her hand over her heart. Uh, there you go. She, of course, was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, by, you know, who? Uncle Joe, who never misses an opportunity to, I guess, um, shall we say, exploit uh, what's going on. This controversies you know about what a lady or a woman or a female is is um, all through the fabric of our culture right now probably there's more no better known in tennis I don't know what term to use lesbian or gay player than Martina Navratilova at the same time Billie Jean King. And Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King are at each other's, I don't want to say throats, uh, disagreeing vociferously with each other. She is, uh, Martina has been a champion on the cause of women's tennis. But there is an Alicia Raleigh who became the latest transgender athlete to women to win a women's competition. She took home the 55 and over singles title at the USTA National Women's Grass Court Championship. That was just last month in July. Now, who is Alicia Raleigh? She is a self-identified, I like that, quote, unquote, self-identified female. She's also the winner of the National Indoor Championships in both singles and doubles. She won those titles in May. Now, Some ladies, women, females are putting the blame squarely on the loose and lax liberal policies of the USTA, the United States Tennis Association, saying that the USTA has given priority to the mental health of men that want to play as women and who, in effect, are not playing fairly. And the critics of the USTA policy, 
say that this is turning women's tennis into a laughing stock. Now, there's some real irony in here. Renee Richards, whom I knew very well, spent a considerable amount of time with here in Gainesville when she, who had been Dr. Richards as a male, a pediatric ophthalmologist, came to Gainesville to train at the club where I worked out. We became good friends. I knew Renee very, very well. And Renee Richards was just retiring, if you will, from women's tennis. Renee talked the WTA into letting her as a female, and yes, she had the operation that eliminated her, shall we say, identifying trademark as a male. Talked the WTA into letting her play in the women's Tennis Association circuit where she promptly got beat because she was old in her 30s when she went out there. Now the irony is Renee Richards I don't think this is a stretch to say this made Martina Navatilova what she is. Martina was out of shape Talented, but had not been coached under tough love. And boy, Renee Richards was tough love. No nonsense. He coached Renee. Told her to lose weight, change her diet, get hard, get lean, get mean. And she became the Renee Richards you see now. It's so strange. Now, on the other hand, I don't know Billie Jean, but she made her reputation, Billie Jean King, playing Bobby Riggs. And when Billie Jean King played Bobby Riggs, Billie Jean King was young compared to Bobby Riggs who'd been a really good tennis player, but he was older. And kind of a trick artist player. And she beat him. And supposedly, that broke the ice and started the idea, and I think it's the right idea, that women should be paid as much as men when they compete on the pro tour. There's a little bit out of whack there. Because in the big tournaments, the women don't play the best three out of five. They don't play the best three out of five in any tournament. But the men play the best three out of five at Wimbledon, U.S. Open, Australian Open, and the French Open. Now, Billie Jean King... is a proponent of allowing transgender athletes to compete, here's the caveat, in the categories they themselves choose. But Martina has said 
that women's tennis is not a place for quote unquote failed male athletes to redeem their careers. I bet you one of the people she has in mind is Renee Richards, who was a very good male tennis player. And was such a tennis obsessive individual that I know Renee thought she could extend her professional circuit tour as a female and therefore talk the WTA into letting her try, which she failed at. But isn't it interesting that you've got two ladies, ladies, females, um, lesbians, what the term is, and disagree profoundly on this. Now, the other controversy in tennis, you know, it's sort of interesting, particularly if you're really observing this sport. You know that the tournaments and the quality of players they get depend upon prize money. I remember when we I first went to play in a tournament, they gave prize money. $500 to the person who won the singles tournament. In Live Oak, Live Oak was a big hub of amateur tennis. By that, I mean the low level, not the high level. Of course, $500 would tell you because they get millions for the U.S. Open and et cetera. The Washington Open, yes, I say Washington. People say it's Washington. Well, I call it Washington. Is now called the Mubadal City Open. The Mubadal City Open. I think I got Mubadal correct. The Mubadal City Open, which is known previously as the Washington Open, DC Open, doubled its prize money and immediately attracted the likes of Andy Murray, Taylor Fritz. Um, people like this, was interrupted yesterday. Interrupted. By what? Two guesses, and the first one doesn't count. Why would a tennis match be interrupted? An interrupting play on a singles match at a championship level is a serious situation because it stops the intensity. It stops the players. They have to go sit down until the interruption is taken care of. In the middle of a match during the Mubadal City Open on Friday, this also happened yesterday. 
They couldn't seem to stop it. They couldn't seem to anticipate who would be doing it. Because at these tennis matches, you can bring a big tennis ball and then hopefully get the athlete to sign it after the match. But in the middle of the match Friday, the middle of the match yesterday, climate, you got it. Climate activists from numerous organizations tossed these oversight size tennis balls onto the tennis court, which is dangerous enough to stop play on Friday between Taylor Fritz and Andy Murray. And then they began to chant, stop funding fossil fuels. City, stop now. And they made it impossible to continue the match. Now, why is Mubadai and City there? Because they have the money. Yes, Mubadai is out of Saudi Arabia. The Emirates, actually. The United Emirates. As I've been told. <clears throat> they claimed that they were lifting up their voice in a First Amendment right and they should be allowed to do this. Of course, they're hauled out. They're uh, takes a while to get them, get them out of the stands, get a hold of them. You know, they have to be dragged. But they claimed that City and Mubadala have donated to the fossil fuel industry and they participated in what's called greenwashing, a practice of promoting a sense of environmental protection. Now, this Mubadala Investment Company is a Saudi-based fund and City is headquartered in New York. And City opened, merged with the San Jose-based Mubadala Silicon Valley Classic this June and created a Mubadala City Open. It is the fifth largest professional tennis event in the United States and is the only combined women and men 500 level tennis tournament in the world. There you are. It is really interesting that this play was stopped as these tennis players, uh, protesters threw these large tennis balls and had flames printed on them onto the court and the unfurled banners in the stands. Well, 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 well. And these players are from all over the world. And the other thing some of them have been saying during post-game interviews Oh, my, what a wonderful town Washington is. Well, welcome to the United States. Went outside yesterday in the heat and phlegm. You can see what's happening to me. In football, the rankings are out, according to some of these uh, 
organizations like the Atlantic from the New York Times and others on the quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's no secret, probably to anybody, that mm-hmm. Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs is the best quarterback in the NFL third time in the past four seasons. He commanded 199 of 200 top-tier ballots, the best in the league. He is considered, without any question, the best in the league. He is um, manages the they they say manages the play clock, calls timeouts accurately and properly, knows even better when to give up on plays. According to the criterion, there are several boxes that Patrick Mahomes checks. Talented, tough, intelligent. Driven, creative, and an excellent feel for how to lead a team. It makes you wonder how many of those boxes Anthony Richardson's has. Well, he's certainly talented. The jury's out on what he's got after that. Tough. Probably. Intelligent? <clears throat> well, we'll see. Feel on how to lead a team? We'll see. <clears throat> the other thing Mahomes has is he's considered a killer late in games, even if it appears the defense has him limited. He's explosive at that moment. Mahomes is a type of guy, according to these people who rank these quarterbacks, as a guy who does better under pressure. And he can throw to people in coverage with such accuracy that even if the player knows he's going to get hit, the ball is going to be there. Burrow is ranked number two. He came from the bottom of top tier last year. He very near the top. He is considered to be tough, smart, accurate, and has a lot of intangibles. But The criticism of him is that he takes too many sacks. He gets hit too much. And a lot of it, the coaches think, is his fault. He is, um, nevertheless, the second-ranked quarterback in the NFL. He's got a reputation for hanging on till the very last second. Now, think about all these things. The reason I'm spending the time, as you watch the Gator quarterbacks coming up, 
and the SEC quarterbacks coming up. Keep this in your mind as to what makes one of the top tier ones. So Burrow is two. Um, the third is really Josh Allen. He, uh, is guilty of too many turnovers, uh, is what people are hesitant about with Josh Allen. He has accuracy flaws and, um, he's daring, but Burrow leapfrogs over him because Burrow is much more accurate than Josh Allen, even though Burrow gets hit way too much. Um, oddly enough, Aaron Rodgers is still around there. He um, has enough qualities like these guys have to still be of value to the Jets, even though he finally wore out his welcome with Green Bay. So uh, it is a question of father time there and how much longer he can produce at a level that he's of value. Jason Hurts is not that highly ranked. He is uh, yet to prove himself in two-minute drills. He's um, not the solid character that Holmes is or even Burroughs. He has talent, but his ability to run the team under pressure evidently does not rank at the level the others do. He is uh, he can push the ball down the field, but he tends to run instead of throw. And he's yet to prove himself in the two-minute situations. So um, maybe he'll get better. And there's some others here we could go on down the line with. Lamar Jackson, um, his passing ability is the focus this year. We'll see how he does with that. Lawrence from the Jaguars is in tier two. And <clears throat> kind of surprising to me because I thought Lawrence really helped the Jags a lot. I'm sure he did. But he took way too many sacks. And he hasn't been real accurate as a pro passer, he needs to make quicker decisions and he needs to stop throwing so many picks and maybe he'll move up. It's interesting. Lawrence is a very good player, but he's not nearly in the category of a Patrick Mahomes. A couple other stories before we break for the weather that I want to cover is uh, I'm curious about this story. I don't know what to make of it. I've shared this with a number of people here in the community. <clears throat> and that's about Jalen Kitna. And USA Today wrote about this. You may have read it. 
one month after being cleared on five felony pornography charges, Kitna talked about this. And even Derry Lloyd, the chief investigator for the state attorney's office, said, nah, there wasn't anything there. The people I've talked about this with are suspicious more than ever of the state attorney judgment of the state attorney, Brian Kramer. Brian Kramer turned a civil argument, they think, these people are critical of him, into a criminal affair. The Osart Grotos trade secret discussion. He supposedly has a grand jury chasing Sheriff Watson. People don't quite know what that's about. And now he apparently ruined this kid's reputation. Because one kidna's explanation, and 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 you have to say, you know, he's either telling the truth or he's lying, is that he never knew anything that he saw on the internet that he supposedly downloaded and shared had anything to do with kids. And it turns out that the state attorney's office apparently finally agreed. But here's the thing about that internet. TikTok. What are they doing? You know, I've got friends who have kids who are girls, 12 or 13, go in a room, hide, and look at this crap. TikTok. With girls their age twerking and all this kind of stuff. I, I, I just don't know. You know, I understand there's clear violations. I was shown a website, which I won't even go back and look at, by some of the attorneys here in town who shall remain anonymous because they want me to know this for this. I ever wanted to do a story on it, which are escort services. And the women, quite often from families right here in town, but they all have Gang guys who watch them and supervise them. All this is out on the internet. I once upon a time knew the name of the site. I can't remember it right now. But I, I don't. I don't know. You know, this is a heavy rap for a kid to undergo and then come back and say, "Oh, we're sorry, we made a mistake." Really. The cops returned, according to his testimony, and what I heard from Derry Lloyd, all of his electronic devices because they contain no illegal material. Well, if they contain no illegal material, you got the kid's 20 years old. 
He was on the team. He's off the team. If anybody knows anything about this, more than I do, I can't figure it out. Except the people I've shown it to fault Kramer for not understanding what is criminal and what isn't. I'm a little bit over there for Coach Hall. A lot of interesting stuff today. We'll be right back with Ward's weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron stations, fossil fuel, don't protest. Well, I'm just going to say one thing. Heat. 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 Apparently all week here in the Piney Woods of North Central Florida. Can't find the cattle right now. They're in the shade. But up on the roof of the Old Command Center here, our guys doing their job. Amazing. And they don't stop. And I know 
they uh, are from Guatemala. I mean, they're not our people. And this, we don't, I don't know where the work ethic went, but they were. So this extreme heat is all I'm going to talk about today. You got to be careful if you're going out in it, playing sports, be sure to hydrate. Take care of yourself because once you get in the cramp mode, it's pretty hard to get out. So govern yourself accordingly on that, on that count. Let me um, switch gears here a little bit now and go out to the New York Times. The New York Times is not one of my favorite publications. As you know, I've been interviewed by them, and I couldn't recognize the interview when um, I saw the thing in the New York Times. It was nothing like we had talked about. There's a guy named David Brooks who writes for the New York Times. I don't read him much, but I was sent this by one of the research team. And he, he, he wrote a column entitled, What If We're the Bad Guys? And what he's talking about is kind of a reluctant recognition that the people supporting Trump have good cause to support him through thick and thin and good cause to hold in great contempt those who are trying to lock him up. Now to set the culture context for you, I'm going to go through Victor Davis Hansen, whom of course David Brooks doesn't reference in his article directly. But Victor Davis Hansen, if you haven't read him, you need to read him. He's got a mind. This is his summation, Victor Davis Hansen's summation of what's going on in this country. Victor Davis Hansen says that there are two sets of laws now operating in an increasingly unrecognizable America. The first one he uses as an example is the matter of unlawfully removing the so-called matter, of unlawfully removing and storing classified papers. Now, on the one hand, Donald Trump may go to prison while removing contested White House files to his home. On the other hand, Joe Biden 
seems totally exempt from legal jeopardy. Joe Biden, as a senator and vice president, with no right, as does a president, to declassify files, removed, and as a private citizen, kept for years classified files in unsecured locations. To get this difference, the president of the United States has a right, the power, to declassify files himself. Biden strangely revealed only recently the unlawful removal after years of being quiet about it. Point one by Victor Davis Hanson. Impeachable phone calls? Donald Trump was impeached by a Democratic House for delaying foreign aid until the Ukrainian government guaranteed that Hunter Biden and his family were no longer engaged in corrupt influence peddling in Kiev. In addition, the left charged that Trump was targeting Joe Biden is possible 2020 rival. Yet Biden, Biden, with impunity, bragged that he had fired a Ukrainian prosecutor looking into his own son's schemes by promising to cancel outright American foreign aid. And now Biden's administration's Justice Department is targeting Trump. Trump was indicted by special counsel Jack Smith in part for supposedly conspiratorially unlawfully discounting legitimate votes. Will Smith then also indict Stacey Abrams? For years, Abrams falsely claimed that she was the real governor of Georgia. She toured the country in hopes of discounting the state vote count. Or maybe Will, uh, maybe Smith, Jack Smith, was referring to Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, in 2016, alleged that Trump lost the election and was put into the office because the Russians interfered on his behalf. Or will Jack Smith charge Hillary Clinton? She constantly libeled Trump, calling him an illegitimate president. Then she hatched the Russian collusion hoax and bragged she joined the resistance to continue her attacks 
on this elected president. What is Jack Smith going to do with Hollywood? Lots of actors cut commercials after the 2016 election, begging viewers to pressure the electors to ignore their constitutional duties to honor their state's popular vote and instead swing their vote, their ballots to Hillary Clinton. Was it that insurrectionary? How about January 2005, Victor Davis Hanson writes, then 32 Democratic House members and Senator Barbara Boxer tried to nullify the legally certified vote in Ohio to elect the loser John Kerry. Or how about the issue of destroying evidence? Trump was indicted for allegedly attempting to erase video material from his own security cameras in his own house. But Hillary Clinton eliminated subpoenaed communication devices and thousands of emails. It goes on and on and on. There's pages of this. Pages of this. In 2016, Hillary Clinton's campaign illegally hired two foreign nationals, Christopher Steele and Igor Dokchenko, to compile falsehoods about her opponent Trump. And then she hid her payments behind three paywalls. Then her team, along with the FBI, helped leak the counterfeit dossier to the media and high officials to undermine her opponent and thus subvert the election itself. Is that lying and perjury? So David Brooks said, what we're the bad guys. I just want to find a paragraph here that's, that really kind of jumped out at me. Hang with me. Here it is. In 2020, this is in Brooks' article, Biden won only 500 or so counties. I didn't know this. But together, those 500 or so counties are responsible for 71% of the American economy. Well, it has to be industrialized city in those counties. Trump won over 2,500 counties. Those 2,500 counties are responsible for only 29% of the American economy. This is where the highly educated class is in these counties. They are not You're working man. They're not the guys on the roof. These people are armed, Brooks writes, with all kinds of economic, cultural, and political power. 
They can create the language and use it the way they want to. They use words like problematic, cisgender, intersectional. You don't hear guys on your roof using that. They can also change the moral norms since these are the elite, going to the elite schools. Brooks says there used to be a norm that discouraged people from having children outside of marriage. But the elite discouraged this. They discouraged it. Sixty percent of births to women with only a high school certificate occur out of wedlock, compared with only 10 percent to women with a university degree. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Brooks says, and this may be true, quote, that the rate of single parenting is the most significant predictor of social immobility in the country. Less educated classes conclude that they're under economic, political, cultural, and moral assault, and they rally around Trump. Trump is the warrior against the educated class. Brooks and the New York Times, take it if you will. Trump understands, according to Brooks, that there is a great demand for a leader who will take on this elite group of people, including the deep state, and champion the workers and the people who paint your house. Interesting. And certainly what Victor Davis Hanson is writing about cross-references with this. Violations of security. Trump was indicted for supposedly loosely talking about classified material to visitors at his home. But Hillary Clinton sent classified documents illegally over her unsecured private server. Go figure. Really. What do the what do former director of national intelligence James Clapper, former director of the CIA John Brennan, and former interim FBI director Andrew McCabe all have in common? 
You ready? All three admitted they flagrantly lied either under oath to Congress or to federal investigators. And they were never indicted for their false and perjurious testimonies. Hansen says that the left has a pathological hatred or fear of Donald Trump. And Brooks says if the left keeps chasing Trump, they will make Trump the president. They will, the left, elect Trump. Because the people will feel they don't have a voice. Well, we'll see. We'll see. There's all kinds of crystal balls. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And something to think about. Stay out of the heat today. It's going to be a scorcher. And uh, contemplate them. The merits of iced tea. Warhol Command Center out.